this recording of the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast is maybe going to be one of the weirder ones that we've ever done here on this beautiful show that we've done over the last, has it been two years now? Maybe about two years or something like that? This is probably going to be one of the weirder episodes because we are actively, as of recording this, as I'm recording this, it's 2.30 in the afternoon on Monday. If you were unaware, there was only supposed to be one football game today. Buffalo Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers, they were supposed to play on Sunday, but due to the weather in Buffalo, they got pushed back to Monday early afternoon. It's Monday early afternoon. It's 2.30. And the Steelers and Bills kicked off about eight minutes ago. So I'm actively recording this podcast while this game is going on, and I am kind of side-eyeing it, you know, I'm, I have it turned on, I'm looking, I'm side-eyeing it a little bit, I'll try not to spoil anything, but we'll keep an eye on it as we get to recording, because I know some people are going to listen to this after this game is over, and some people might watch it later, or something like that, so I'll try not to spoil anything, but, you know, I'll keep an eye on the on the game as we go along here, I can't commentate anything, because I think that's technically illegal, if I remember correctly, if I, like, go and commentate on you know not like you know actually like play-by-play commentate uh certain aspects of the game so i can't do that but this is weird i've never done this uh apart from like march madness uh there i don't remember a time at the very least football i don't remember this ever happening in football where we have an you know an nfl game or even a college football game going on in the midst of me recording an episode but here we are it's happening right now it is happening right now bills Steelers are playing one another uh, Bills and the field looks pretty good actually. They cleared it off pretty well. The stands have looked like kind of a mess to be honest with you. Uh, they're snow filled and snow packed. I feel bad for anybody that went bad to, or went to this game to be honest with you because it's it, it still looks like there's snow in in areas you don't want there to be snow like the sands and, so, and whatnot. But it is Buffalo. You're kind of born into this business, right? When you're when you when you live in Buffalo, this is uh this is what you come to expect. So. Let's get started. Let's get started with the other action that we had over the weekend. Uh, let's start with first. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Please remember, you can rate this podcast. You can listen to it anywhere, wherever you get your pop, your popular podcasts, wherever you want to listen to it. You can listen to it there. Uh, you can also listen to it on sharedmedia.com, honestly. Uh, obviously, not honestly, obviously. Um, and then uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating on this podcast wherever you listen to it. I'd greatly appreciate that. It helps out the show uh, grow a little bit more and gets more into the trending section if it is uh, rated more highly or rated more and uh, helps us with uh, a lot of the the analytics, if you also I'd greatly appreciate that. Let's get started on the actual good stuff of the show. How about the Detroit Lions, huh? Them Detroit Lions. You know, I'm, an, I'm a fan of an NFC North team. Uh, I'm a fan of the Minnesota Vikings, so I'm as dead inside as ever. But Detroit, good for Detroit. I, I'm happy for Detroit. I couldn't be uh, it, with a more rival, like a rivalry team like the Detroit Lions were supposed to be, I guess, and the NFC North rival. I never really feel the rivalry whenever the Vikings and the Lions are playing, but it's supposed to be a rivalry. But I, I'm happy for the Lions because, man, there has not been a not been a team, a franchise, probably in all of professional sports, that has gone through more suffering than the Detroit Lions, at least in American professional sports. Uh, the Detroit Lions have gone through it. Last time they won a playoff game was 32 years ago prior to last night. And it was against the Detroit, or excuse me, the Detroit, the Dallas Cowboys, January 5th, 1992. The 1991 season. Can you imagine what it must have been like in that stadium? 
to think that this was right at the beginning, more so at the beginning of Barry Sanders' career as a running back in the NFL. He was already putting on shows, uh, becoming one of the great running backs in the NFL already to that point. Um, and to think you were walking out of that stadium as a Detroit Lions fan after beating and the, the victory was 38 to six over the Dallas Cowboys, a team that would essentially go on after that to dominate uh, the rest of the league. But this was two up and coming teams, essentially going head to head in this divisional round back in 1992. Uh, and the Detroit Lions just dominated them, just dominated the Dallas Cowboys. It was 38 to six, like I said. Uh, and it felt like this was the moment that the Lions were going to step ahead, become the new team that was going to be the, not necessarily the face, but the, the, the team that was to be the team to beat in the NFC uh, and go on to maybe win a bunch of these Super Bowls. And in the end, it was not, that would be the last time they would win a game in the playoffs until 2023, 2024, I guess, but the 2023 season. Uh, and then the Dallas Cowboys after that game would go on to win three out of the next four Super Bowls and uh, they would end up being the dynasty. But just to think that that was the, you were walking out of that stadium as a Detroit Lions fan after beating the Dallas Cowboys 38 to six, you're on your high horse. You're like, we have this running back who's in his second or third season. If I remember correctly, uh, second or third season is already, you know, proving to be one of the best running backs in the NFL. You leave that stadium. You're like, we're, I'm about to have a very good next seven years of my life, seven to 10 years of my life, given how well that Detroit Lions team looked. And then, that was the last time you would see a playoff victory <laughs> for the next 32 years of your life. Just wild. Just so I wonder what people like that are thinking. There's probably people that went to both of those games, to be honest with you. Uh, there was a, they kept uh, panning over and showing uh, a, a gentleman who had uh, had 66 years straight of season tickets or something like that. So he was probably at both of those games. Uh, so the range of emotions that that guy must have been having. Uh, I also liked that... Throughout the game, Chris Collinsworth, the color commentator in this game, he kept kind of asking Mike Tirico, who was the play-by-play commentator for NBC in this game, what, because he, because Mike Tirico lives in this area, around the Detroit area, according to Chris Collinsworth, and he kept on asking what this kind of meant, and Tirico was on, was able to give some, some personal insight to what the community had kind of felt during those years um, and the common phrasing was uh, the same old lions kind of thing, the, the SOL, the same old lions. Uh, and that sort of insight throughout the, the, throughout the year was, or throughout the game was interesting to me. I thought that was kind of cool that they had somebody who was able to give those sort of, uh, personal insights to what it is that was going on in Detroit at the time. And obviously throughout the last 30 years or so. So I thought that was really cool. The game itself. Very good, obviously. It was a very good game. Uh, I was surprised. I, in the end, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised when they look at the full analytics of this game. It didn't It didn't feel like uh, either team was really dominating either way. But if you look at the analytics of it, it feels like Detroit. It looks like Detroit, or excuse me, uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles did uh, a lot more than Detroit did, especially offensively. Um, LA had the better EPA per play, the better yards per play, the better... EPA per drop back, EPA per pass, early down, EPA per play, explosive pa- uh, explosive play rate. Uh, so if, for the most part, it seems like Los Angeles just dominated this game. But the difference in this game was the red zone inefficiencies of the Rams. The Rams go down 0 for 3 in the red zone, have to kick three field goals. That's nine points. Whereas Detroit goes 3 for 3 in the red zone, three touchdowns. That's a whatever, 21 to 
you're looking at a completely different ball game. So 21 points versus nine points on three field goals. That's a completely different game. The Rams didn't, it didn't matter. The fact they had, they were in the 96th percentile of explosive play rate uh, in this game. They had 18.2% explosive play rate. They couldn't score anything in the red zone. And that ended up costing them the entire game. Uh, And that's what made them lose this ball game. So, Good for the Lions, man. Uh, I mean, th- this you should always root for the story in these situations, in my opinion. I think that the story of this is just so much fun, seeing the Lions, seeing their fans uh, party like it's 1992, if you will, uh, finally having their first victory. And this was a team that was kind of, it feels like a team that has been kind of brushed off, uh, essentially, even through going into the playoffs by me as well. Uh, I saw the hiring of Dan Campbell, however long that was three years ago or whatever. And um, I was like, this seems like a weird hiring uh, as the analytical movement continues to kind of grow in the NFL. Dan Campbell kind of felt like a backwards trajectory for that sort of hiring. He was came into the the first press conference talking about biting knees off grit and toughness, that sort of thing. Uh, And he kind of, I think masked a lot of how smart he really was when it came to the advanced analytics of the game uh, and what, I mean, he clearly had a vision for the team because they are very gritty. They are very tough. They love, I mean, they're very much built around that sort of thing, Uh, but they are very smart in what they do as well in terms of analytically what they're looking at when they're talking about fourth downs, uh, you know, that he was very much ahead of the movement of going forward on fourth down in a lot of different places that, I, you know, 15 years ago it would have been sacrilegious if you would have gone for it on fourth down in some of the areas that he has gone for it on fourth down. Um, he listens to a lot of the analytical guys. He just doesn't show that sort of personality very often. And I think it it mixes very well for this team because he is the gritty, you know, tough guy that really cares about his players. Um, but he will listen to a lot of the quote unquote sports nerds as well. Um, when it comes to the a lot of a lot of the analytical stuff, so I appreciate that. I, I think we all of us, a lot of people that looked at the Lions, I think we kind of underestimated how good this team would be in the long run and how smart they are. Um, and uh, including Ben Johnson as well as another one of the offensive coordinator for them, he is almost certainly going to have a head coaching job. I would imagine after the end of this season, uh, becoming a head coach somewhere else, um, and we'll see how they kind of that kind of affects the Detroit Lions. But at this point. I I have all the faith in the world of Detroit uh, and the Lions and Dan Campbell to get his teams ready for basically any competition that they come up against. So shout out the Lions, man. Good for the Lions. Good for the city of Detroit. Good for the fans of the Detroit Lions. Just a team that has had a tortured, tortured. I mean, we're talking about 32 years since their last their last playoff victory before this. And they've just been through the ringer in terms of they made their two most uh dominant players of all time retire uh, their third most player uh, requests a trade after 13 years of not really doing anything. Uh, Barry Sanders being their best player, second best player being Calvin Johnson who retired after 10 years or so same with Barry Sanders. Uh, and then Matthew Stafford, obviously requesting a trade going to the Rams and then essentially immediately winning a Super Bowl with the Los Angeles Rams. That's just, that's, that's a lot for one fan base to have to go through. So they deserve it. They deserve it. And it was cool to see them celebrate and the fans in the stands freaking out. It was loud at Ford field as well. I mean, they were, they, they showed up to that game. They were loud. They had the home field advantage in that game very clearly. Uh, and it was good to see the Rams faith or Rams faithful, the lions faithful show up in numbers and put together a good home field advantage for that team. And they're probably going to have another opportunity to do so depending on not probably maybe have another opportunity 
uh, to do so in the divisional round as well. Once we see how everything else shakes out. So good for the lions, man. Good for the lions. Okay. Let's move on. Dallas. Woof. Wow. 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 That was brutal. Dallas, man. They can give you any, every inclination that they're a team that has changed. They're a team that is better. They're a team that has grown with their postseason losses. They're a team that um, shows that they have evolved with the game enough that they can kind of win against every anybody. And then they just put on the show that they did on uh, on on Sunday, and uh, everybody's left scratching their heads. Like, what kind of team is this? I have no idea at this point. Uh, that is a game that they should have won. The Green Bay defense came into that game. They got sh- they get shredded coming into that game. Uh, their defense had been shredded across the middle of the field, bad in just about every coverage they had used this season. Uh, in bottom twenty in basically every coverage in terms of EPA allowed and success rate uh, in essentially every covers they were using, whether it be cover one, cover three, cover two, cover four, which was their four most prominent coverages that they were using. And um, in terms of offensively, Green Bay, they used a ton of motion. Jordan Love had basically erupted into a star towards the back half of the season, but I don't know if anybody really expected that kind of game in him. Uh, He was very effective throwing over the middle. Um, and the deep part of the field on left on the left and the right side of the field, but mainly over the middle. Whereas Dallas offensively, this was a game that they should have really taken advantage of how poor the Green Bay defense was at limiting big plays over the middle of the field. They were very bad at allowing big plays over the middle of the field, had a very high EPA allowed over basically every section of the middle of the field. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, they could not do it. They had trouble in the deep parts of the field. Dallas had uh, defensively, they had trouble de- on the defense, uh, in deep parts of the field over the middle of the field. Uh, outside of that, they were pretty solid in terms in all of their coverages throughout the season. But for whatever reason in this game, uh, both QBs, they were pretty solid Dak, uh, mainly, I mean, he got a lot of his numbers towards the end of the game when they were trying to make some sort of a comeback. Um, but Dak was throwing the ball. He threw the ball like an absurd, uh, 34 times in front of the first down marker in this game. The Packers were really good at limiting like the big plays uh, deep with CD lamb. Uh, and I think that they really were able to keep a lot of those plays in front of them for the most part, as well as uh, their defense just looked completely lost against green Bay's motion throughout the entire game. Whenever they were motioning, it felt like there was a ton of miscommunication by the, the Dallas defense, uh, which led to a bunch of busted coverages, which led to a lot of those big plays that, Green Bay was able to um, uh, run off essentially, and Jordan Love was putting together some unreal stuff in that game. I was uh, I was stunned by how well Jordan Love was playing in that game. I could not believe how I, I knew Jordan Love had really turned into a pretty solid quarterback towards the end of the season. Like he was really putting together a good season for the most part, um, but I didn't expect this. I, I was I was blown away with how effective he was. It really, I think, came down to, and this is tough to, I mean, tough to really put a a, a pin in, if, if that makes sense, but it felt like Green Bay just came into that game much more prepared of what they were going to be able to do effectively against the Dallas defense and vice versa, what they were able to do, what they were able to be able to do 
I can't say that for some reason, what they were going to be able to do defensively against Dallas's offense. And it kind of started falling apart towards the end there. Once they finally kind of felt like uh, they had that game in hand, Dallas started to really get the big plays together, but it was uh, essentially too little too late at that point. And offensively like Jordan love who does and Matt LaFleur in their offense is, uh, is an offense that does love to push the ball down the field. But I mean, a lot of those coverages were just completely broken. Love was able to find wide open people all game uh, and capitalize on those broken coverages. And then also the fact that that Dallas was getting so bullied up front. I mean, Aaron Jones basically hadn't played most of the season. He had been injured almost the entire season, um, but he comes in, puts together an, an unbelievable game against the Cowboys uh, front line, front seven just just getting in for the most part the offensive line just bullying the Dallas the Dallas defensive line uh it was it was a bad showing for just Dallas overall and surprising for a lot of people not maybe not historically obviously I think a lot of people um historically look back on this Dallas Green Bay uh matchup especially in the playoffs and they see a lot of Green Bay not necessarily dominating but in the in the end winning um but I don't think anybody really expected a game like this where Dallas just looked so lost Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys going into this game he was getting a lot of head coaching not necessarily nods but rumors around him and now it's I'm curious to see what happens because that entire game it feels like for the most part the Dallas defense was just getting out coached by Matt LaFleur out schemed by that uh, offensive game plan offensive game plan that the Packers put together uh and now there's got to be some sort of maybe if you're out there looking for Dan Quinn, if he was maybe your one of your uh, first or second choices as a uh, head coaching candidate. I wonder if maybe you're taking a second look and you're like, is this is this a good idea? Is this a good idea after what they just like? Are we sure about this? Because, again, Green Bay, 48 to 32 is the final score, but they were averaging uh, 1.14 EPA per dropback, 1.13 EPA per pass, uh, early down EPA of 0.36. That's 98th percentile, 100 percentile, 100 percentile on the EPA per dropback and EPA per pass, uh, and then a 97th percentile in, in yards per play, a 99th percentile in EPA per play. Just and basically the whole season, the Dallas defense has been pretty good even after losing Trayvon Diggs I mean they finished the season allowing the fourth best EPA per play the sixth best EPA per pass they've uh, they've had some struggles in the run game giving up uh, the 11th uh, the 11th best EPA per or the 11th they had the 11th best EPA per rush allowed so not bad by any means but their pass defense had been good all season forced a lot of negative plays got a lot of sacks Michael Parsons again was very very good Demarcus Lawrence for the most part was pretty solid throughout the season as well um, but Michael Parsons has been a problem arguably the best uh, pass rusher in the league and whenever they're in basically all of their coverages that they played they played primarily cover one but uh, in basically all the coverages that they did end up playing, they allowed uh, the ninth best uh, EPA or excuse me, um, top 10 EPAs allowed in each one of their coverages and ninth best EPA allowed in their cover one scheme that they used 55% of the time. It looks like so. I, I mean, it just came from out of nowhere. Uh, I, I just don't I don't think anybody expected it. It was kind of very head scratching how the, the biggest thing that was confusing to me was how confused they looked by Green Bay's motion uh, that they used and Green Bay was a, a heavy motion team throughout the season. It's not like they just implemented 
uh, motion heading into this game. They were the seventh most uh, highest motion uh, rated team throughout the season. They used motion 41% of the time, almost 42% of the time. And that was the seventh highest in the league. So it, it's not like, you know, Green Bay hadn't had Phil or excuse me, Dallas's defense didn't have film on Green Bay using motion. They'd been doing it all season. So the, just the fact that they were so lost in the lack of communication between a lot of their secondary, which caused a lot of these uh, big play situations and broken coverages was just wild. It was wild to me. I didn't expect, I, I figured Green Bay was going to be in this game, obviously, because this game seems it seemingly always has good, you know, it, it seems like this game is always ends up being a good game. I did not expect this from Green Bay, though. Didn't, didn't I think, what was it, that Detroit was favored by seven and a half in this game, if I remember correctly, because they were at home and they had dominated at home. That's the other thing. Just completely lost all ability to play at home, which is wild, because they had been the best home team all season long. And for whatever reason, this game, whether it be not very good coaching job, not very well prepared, I have no idea. Um, but the fact that they just evaporated as a team was stunning it, it was stunning to me um so yeah dallas i i'm curious to see what they do from here dallas is almost i would imagine they're almost certainly going to let go of mike mccarthy i can't imagine a situation in which they don't um because of how good the coaching pool is out there they're gonna i would imagine jerry jones is going to throw the bag at bill belichick but i, I don't know if that's a great position for bill belichick either because that is two people that love to have control, both of them, uh, and Jerry Jones and Bill Belichick, and I don't know how well that's going. That would work out for either of them, um, and I think it would probably be better for both of them if Bill Belichick went somewhere else where Bill Belichick had full control, and then Jerry Jones continued to kind of have more or less full control in terms of ros- roster con- construction as the owner slash slash general manager. So. Uh, I don't see that really happening, but I, you know, uh, Mike Vrabel maybe, or, you know, uh, there's plenty of other head coaches, Jim Harbaugh, maybe I I could see that happening, could very easily see that happening, Um, but it'll be interesting. I, I, you know, Mike McCarthy hasn't been fired yet, but I would be, I would be surprised if he was, if he was still around come the end of this week, Um, but we'll see, we will see. And again, by the way, I said last week when we were talking about, (laughs) when we were talking about head coaching, uh, possible firings or whatever. I, I said Mike Vrabel. There's no shot Mike Vrabel is leaving Tennessee. And then I think, you know, four or five hours after I recorded that and posted it or whatever, uh, Mike Vrabel was fired. So that was a good call by me. I, I think I did a good job there. Really. I just, that was stunning to me. I thought that Detroit or that Tennessee, they liked the direct, maybe not the direction that he was going, but I guess the culture that Vrabel had kind of implemented into that team. Uh, and I thought he was going to be there for a while. Uh, and as long as he showed improvement in that team, but just goes to show, I just goes to show how little we actually know of what's going on. Um, except for Dallas. I, I will say, I think I'm pretty confident in feeling like Mike McCarthy's days are numbered at that position. So we'll see. We will see with Mike McCarthy. Uh, I'm very curious to see what direction, if they do let go of Mike McCarthy, what direction they will go in in terms of head coach. Bill Belichick would really, really surprise me because those two people, Jerry Jones and Bill Belichick, are both creatures of control. They love to have control of what they're doing, and I think them having to give up one aspect of that control is going to be a problem, which is why Bill Belichick ended up being the director of player personnel in New England as well, uh, and Jerry Jones is also the GM director of player personnel 
at Dallas. I can't imagine one of them giving that up to become, uh, to bring in the other, essentially. So, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I, I, I'm curious. I can't imagine they run back Mike McCarthy. I'd be stunned by that. Um, but uh, we'll see. We will see where Dallas ends up going. Have you visited Alpine Climate Control's showroom? They have fireplace features, furnaces, outdoor fire pits, and pizza ovens that are all hooked up and working so you can see exactly how they all function before you buy. They also have outdoor seating, heat, and lights available. Stop by Alpine Climate Control and visit the showroom today. The showroom is open weekdays from 8.30 until 4.30 and every Saturday from 10 until 4. Alpine Climate Control located at 2705 Coffeen Avenue in Sheridan and online at alpineclimatecontrol.com. Okay, that we started with the biggest, most surprising game in terms of uh, shock, obviously. Sh- most surprising equals shock. Uh, and I think that one was definitely the easiest pick of the bunch. So let's move on uh, to the coldest game of the bunch. <laughs> Fourth coldest game in the history of NFL football. Uh, Kansas City versus Miami. Could not have picked a better matchup for Kansas City I think in this situation I think they love the fact that they got to play Miami on the road or I guess Miami who was on the road uh in the fourth coldest game in the history of the NFL in balmy Kansas City could not have worked out better for the Kansas City Chiefs in this situation uh and the Kansas City City Chiefs dominate and obviously it was 26 to 7 they the Dolphins just could not do Anything and the Chiefs, Steve, or the Chiefs offense also was not great. It was not stellar. They had a couple explosive plays, but it wasn't, you know, the explosive plays that we typically remember uh, from the Chiefs team. We keep expecting them to kind of turn it around, you know, where we have they have this game where we're like, oh, here they are, they're back. This is the Chiefs team that we remember. We're finally here. Somebody that I think has kind of slid, or maybe not slid. Um, that isn't getting enough attention, I guess, for a lot of the problems, in my opinion, in Kansas City. I, I think everybody kind of just forgot that Eric Bieniemy left. Uh, like that was a he, that was a, a big situation in which we expected him to get a head coaching job, but he just ends up leaving and goes uh, to be the offensive coordinator in Washington. And I think that was a big that's a that's a huge uh, a huge change. Like Eric Bieniemy really structured along with Andy Reid, but he really constructed a lot of those offenses that were. Just unbelievable with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, obviously, uh, and put together a lot of MVPs with Patrick Mahomes. And now that Eric Bieniemy left, it's Matt Nagy calling the offensive plays uh, as the offensive coordinator. And if you're a Bears fan, I mean, you know, you know Matt Nagy. And uh, I mean, I I, th- I do think there is maybe a direct link there uh, from the differences that we're seeing from Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy. So. Something to take into account. I, I forgot. I mean, I think a lot of people forgot that Eric Bieniemy just left. It wasn't just, I think this team kind of just falling back to earth, which is part of it as well, obviously. I think Travis Kelsey has gotten a year older. Uh, the receiving room is kind of a mess outside of Rasheed Rice uh, and Patrick Mahomes. I think people, after three years of just straight domination, maybe starting to figure him out just a little bit. Um, but, and of course, Eric Bieniemy leaving, I think, I think that is a big part of that as well. So, it's interesting. That we don't even, we barely talk about that. Um, but still, they, they put together a, a pretty solid game against the Dolphins. The Dolphins, especially defensively, this defense has been fantastic. Just the best defense that a Patrick Mahomes-led team has had since 
Patrick Mahomes came a starter, became the starter in Kansas City, I would I would say pretty confidently. Uh, and they were all over this Miami team. Tua could not do anything. They could not get the run game going whatsoever. And that was kind of uh, the big thing that they had coming into this game was how effective their run game was. Uh, and their run game was probably probably uh, the best part of this game for Miami. And be- that that just goes to show how awful their their uh, their passing game was. It was it was not good at all. And then they came in, they finished the game with a 32% success rate, which is in the sixth percentile. Uh, they had an EPA per pass of negative 0.28, which is in the 12th percentile, a uh, negative 0.28 EPA per drop back, which is in the 14th percentile uh, and a EPA per play of negative 0.23, which is in the 11th percentile. It was a disaster of a game for the dolphins and they have, a lot of questions going into the offseason that I think um, are going to shape a lot of the future for Miami. Uh, they have Tua on a fifth-year option heading into this next season, and I'm curious to see what they do. Steve uh, Steve Ruiz of The Ringer put together a really good article um, uh, talking about Tua's seemingly big game issue. Uh, whenever he is playing in a lot of these big games as a starter, he tends to struggle. He's very good in the first 15 plays for the most part. Uh, the first 15, typically the scripted plays uh, throughout uh, the, the beginning of the very, the very beginning of the game, the very beginning of the half as well. Um, but outside of that, outside of his scripted plays, he is okay. Not, not very stellar. He is very okay. Outside of the first 15 games or f- games plays, excuse me. Uh, the rest of the game, and this is for just the 2023 season. Um, in his first 15 plays, he was averaging 9.06 yards per dropback, an EPA per play or an EPA per dropback, a dropback of 0.34, a success rate of 54.20%. And then the rest of the game, after those first 15 plays, the typically scripted plays of the game, he had 7.1 yards per dropback, an EPA per dropback of 0.09, and a 47.8 percent. Drop back uh, or success rate, not drop back, uh, success rate uh, once he does drop back. So uh, and, and if you break it down by uh, by month, by quarter, it progressively gets worse. He's best when he's in September, gets a little worse in October, uh, gets a little worse in November in terms of EPA, gets he gets a little bit better in success rate in November. But then it kind of falls off a cliff in December, um, a zero EPA per drop back and a 43 percent success rate uh, in the month of December since 2022. Uh, and some people might say that's, you know, him traveling on the road, it gets colder and he performs worse in cold areas. But if you look at his home performances by month, he has a 0.42 EPA per drop back in September and a 59% drop back or a success rate in the month of September in home games. And then all the way in December, moving to December where it progressively gets worse in December, he has a 0.08 EPA per drop back and a success rate of 50%. So there's a situation brewing in Miami that is going to have to be snuffed out, if you will. I don't know of a better word than that. Um, it'll be, I don't know what they're going to do with Tua. I think there needs to, in my opinion, if it were me, I think they, it's similar to the Jared Goff situation, I think. Um, I think as, in term when Jared Goff was in LA, I think there was only so far that you can go with Tua Tungavailoa at your quarterback in my as your quarterback in Miami, I don't think that he is at least from what we've seen worthy of the super high massive extension that he is going to be at, that he's going to ask for once his fifth year option is up. Now you can 
he can come in and ask for that request now, uh, but there still is the fifth-year option. I believe it's a club option at the end of uh, the rookie contract. So the club or the, the Dolphins might just say, hey, we're going to take this fifth-year option, see how you perform in this fifth year, and we'll make a decision after that. It's entirely possible as well. But I don't know how much is going to change, especially with how well he played in the regular season this year for the most part. Um what is going to change drastically to change their mind? He has to, if anything is going to change their mind, he has to perform unbelievably well in the playoffs or in the fourth quarter or, you know, prove that he has really changed a lot in those instances to make it worthy, a worthy investment for the, uh, for the Miami Dolphins to put that money down and say, Hey, Tua, we want to give you the highest contract in the NFL, which is essentially how this works. It's all a ladder at this point. The salaries are always a ladder. So he will be asking for essentially highest paid quarterback in the league type money. Um, also, really quickly, his EPA by quarter uh, drops off a cliff as well. Uh, once he gets to the fourth quarter, he starts off first quarter 0.26 EPA per drop back. A lot of those scripted plays, obviously, in the fourth quarter, or excuse me, in the first quarter, uh, it drops off a little bit in the second quarter, and then you get into the second half in the third quarter, it jumps back up a little bit again with some more scripted plays at the beginning of the second half, uh, but then it falls off a cliff in the fourth quarter this season, uh, since 2022, excuse me, uh, six yards per drop back, a negative 0.08 EPA per drop back, and a success rate of just 44%. So there's questions to be had in Miami, and I'm curious to see what direction they go in. I think, it, like I said, it, it feels a little bit like the Jared Goff situation in L.A. Jared Goff took that L.A. Rams team to a Super Bowl, uh, and they ended up getting beat by the Patriots 13-3, to um, but it felt like the ceiling they had gotten out of Jared Goff was there, like he was going to get to the Super Bowl, maybe not have the ability to be the guy that puts the team on his back and carries them to a victory. So they go and trade for a well-established quarterback in Matthew Stafford. And then that is the guy that ends up taking the Rams to the Super Bowl. I think the Dolphin, the Dolphins are good enough uh, on both sides of the ball. Maybe a, a little bit of improvement on the defensive side, especially in the linebacker area. Uh, maybe one other guy at cornerback uh, just for depth's sake. Um, but it feels like they are good enough for the most part, in every other area uh, other than maybe linebacker, offensive line as well, to make a run like that if they had the proper, the the really good quarterback under center. And I think that is something that they need to maybe look at doing. Maybe look at, I don't know who would take uh, Tua Tungavailoa outside of a similar situation which Detroit did where they get picks for said quarterback that they are trading away and it's a straight swap outside. They get the picks as well as the swaps of quarterback. So it'll be interesting. I, I think that's a way that they could capitalize on it. They could get a quarterback, a well-established quarterback. I don't know who would be maybe a Kirk Cousins of some kind. Uh, Kirk Cousins could sign in free agency, obviously, but if they wanted to trade to a sign Kirk Cousins in free agency, I don't know how much better Kirk makes them. Kirk was well on his way of having arguably his best career, uh, uh, best season of his career before he got injured. Um, but outside of Kirk Cousins, I don't know who would be available on a bad team, essentially, that at the quarterback position that you could trade for if you are the Miami Dolphins. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. And there's really not, I, it could be, I mean, honestly, it could be Matt Stafford if they wanted to. It could be Matt Stafford if the Rams find themselves in kind of cap hell because of his contract. 
they don't really have very much draft capital and they're continuing the, you know, seven and nine type of seasons or the 10 and seven type of seasons. Uh, and they have Puka Nakua on a rookie deal of some kind. They're going to want to try to reach, uh, you know, j- uh, jump a rebuilding effort. So it could be somebody like Matt Stafford, especially with how effective he has been um, at that position and with the Rams over the last, I mean, even this year, he was fantastic. So um, it could be somebody like Matt Stafford, but I don't know if they're going to make that. The Rams don't seemingly aren't going to make that decision, you know, trading away Matt Stafford this year. So that's probably a no as well. I don't know. I don't know who they go after, but it feels like that's the kind of position that they are in right now where the Dolphins need to trade for somebody to get them to that next level because it feels like to me they have all the the pieces around that quarterback position. And even when they have the guy that I think fits into that scheme very well, they clearly play, they play very, very well. Uh, And Tua was putting on MVP type numbers, um, but you need somebody when outside of the script, when nothing is really working very well in the scripted, in the, in the scripted play outside of the scripted plays, you need to be able to have somebody that you can just lean on to make the plays that you need and I don't see that necessarily in what we've seen so far from Tua. It feels like Tua doesn't do a whole lot outside of what has essentially already been developed for him, if that makes sense. So it'll be interesting to see. I think that in the end, they'll probably just pick up his fifth-year option because right now there really aren't a whole lot of guys like that in the in the trade pool, if you will, that, that teams are willing to uh, trade away with. Um, I think the Rams honestly got really lucky in that situation with Matthew Stafford. So yeah, I I mean, we'll see, we'll see where the dolphins are. I think ultimately they're going to pick up that fifth year option though, and just see at the end of that. uh, And then uh, basically take it from there. I I mean, I don't know what they do after that, because if he has another season like this, then you're kind of, you're kind of screwed because you're not going to pay him. And then that just leaves, uh, I guess the free agency market, but um you know, who knows who is going to be available at that point uh, in the, with the free agency markets uh, at the end of next season. So we'll see. We'll see what the Dolphins do. Uh, and then the Chiefs, the Chiefs are just, they're going to do chief things. Still believe in Patrick Mahomes just to basically not turn the ball over, essentially. I don't know if the big, the big plays just haven't been there this year, but I still have basically full faith in him just to not turn the ball over, essentially. So uh, I, th- I think in the defense, they might just lean on the defense this year and that will work for them entirely because I think that defense is good enough to just kind of be leaned on. Patrick Mahomes might not have a stellar game where he just has to dump it off all game. The deep ball is just not there. He's dumping it off to Travis Kelsey or to Isaiah Pacheco out of the backfield or something like that. Uh, and then the defense, you know, holds the, the opposing team to 17 points when the Chiefs score 21 points and they go to the AFC Championship like that or the Super Bowl like that. So, I can totally see that, Um, but we'll see. We'll see with both of these teams. Uh, Let's move on. I want to talk about the Texans and the Browns very, very quickly. The only thing I got to say is, I mean, CJ Stroud, man. CJ Stroud is a dude, is a dude. I I can't remember a team, obviously, other than very recently, but even Patrick Mahomes coming out of like his rookie season, uh, he was he was on the he was on the bench uh, behind Alex Smith. I don't remember a rookie season at quarterback outside of maybe Joe Burrow being this dominant and looking as collected, as poised, as confident as CJ Stroud is like the Houston Texans just nailed that pick. I mean, they, they nailed that pick. I cannot believe how good that team looks with CJ Stroud under center. 
and they have a very, very bright future ahead of them. Uh, so, and D'Amico Ryans as well as head coach. I think he was a fantastic hire uh, as the head coach for the Houston Texans. I think he's another, he's, he's similar to Dan Campbell in my opinion, where he kind of, he's very much feels like a player's coach. Whenever you uh, see a lot of how the players react around him and whatnot, he is somebody that likes to be in the celebration with his players um, and being very happy with his players and, you know, connected with his players in that sense. Same as like Antonio Pierce. Uh, and obviously, like I said, Dan Campbell as well, they all kind of feel like come they're cut from the same cloth, if that makes sense. Um, and I think that was a fantastic hire by the Houston Texans. And that, that is a team that is going to be a team to be reckoned with, uh, in the future. I think they are going to be very, very, very good. And I think, uh, what's crazy is he's probably the fourth best quarterback in the AFC playoffs. Still, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, then probably CJ Stroud. Uh, but if he goes into if somehow the, the Houston Texans make it to the Super Bowl, uh, he will probably from what I'm looking at here, what we have left, I would say he's probably the best, the better quarterback out of anybody that comes out of the NFC. Is that a crazy, is that a crazy take for me? Is that a crazy take? I would take, I would take CJ Stroud over Brock Purdy. I would take CJ Stroud right, CJ Stroud right now over Jared Goff. I would take him over Jalen Hurts. I would take him over uh, Jordan Love. I, that might be a crazy take, but uh, like, don't bat your don't bat your eyes at uh, CJ Stroud putting together a 98th percentile type of game uh, in terms of EPA per pass against the best pass defense in the entire NFL. They went 45 to 14 and they had an EPA per drop back of 0.60, which is 97th percentile and a 0.65 EPA per pass, which is 98th percentile. Like the guy is unbelievable. Uh, the guy is unbelievable at what he does. Uh, and he is a very, very good quarterback and Bobby Slowick as well. The offensive coordinator for the Texans is another one of those guys that's from the Kyle Shanahan tree. Uh, and he has done numbers for that Texans offense and they look uh, very, very, very good. I'm, I, if I'm anybody playing the Texans this next coming, this upcoming week, I'm a little bit nervous because they have that guy in CJ Stroud who just can kind of even it up, uh, depending no matter who he plays, no matter who they play or who he plays, and they have a de- decent enough pass rush to kind of um, mitigate. I think a lot of good uh, teams, if they have a good enough, you know, if the if the pass rush has a good enough day, they can really set teams back uh, no matter who they're playing, especially with a guy like Will Anderson coming off the edge, who's had a fantastic year as well. Um, so Texans, man, be scared of the Texans. Be aware, be scared of the Texans. You want to know something crazy? Here's your stat of the day. Since the inception of the Houston Texans, 2002, the Texans have won more playoff games than the Dallas Cowboys. That's depressing for Dallas Cowboys fans. That's Texas's team right now. They're three wins in the playoffs since 2002, since they became a, a franchise, and uh, Dallas has two. So there's that for you. There's that for you. Hi, it's Kathleen and Jack from 307 Real Estate. If you're thinking of buying a property in the near future, the first thing you should do is call your banker or a home loan company and get pre-qualified. That way you'll know in advance how much you can borrow for your dream home. Great advice, Kathleen. There's nothing worse than finding that perfect home and then finding out you don't qualify. Once qualified, give us a call and we can start looking for that perfect home. We're a Wyoming-based company and here for you, Wyoming. Call Kathleen and Jack at 307 Real Estate, 307-763-1249. You're in heaven living in 307. 
Okay, let's do a very quick preview of the game that's coming up tonight, Monday night for the listeners, Tuesday, or one day ago if you're listening on Tuesday, two days ago if you're listening on Wednesday, and three days ago if you're listening on Thursday, you crazy, crazy, crazy person. Uh, Okay, really quickly, preview time. So the big news, in case you missed it, uh, regarding this game came out a couple, couple days ago, and it was that A.J. Brown will not be available in this game. He will be officially out. He is not going to be playing in this game. And that is a huge, 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 huge loss loss for this team. Uh, He had, coming into this game, a total EPA of 76.9, which is the third best in the entire uh, NFL. He had a target share of 31.8%, which is the second best in the NFL. Uh, He was a huge outlet for this team with Jalen Hurts. And with him... Being out, um, that is going to leave a big hole for Devontae Smith to try to cover as well as basically move everybody else up one. So you're going to have Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, who has been a very good tight end when he has been on the field. Um, But eliminating eliminating A.J. Brown from this team is going to make their passing offense, in my opinion, kind of a big problem. Uh, They're going to have to try to figure out what to do without him. Uh, they're not a team that uses motion very much. Uh, they does not have a very quick time to throw. He loves to look deep. Uh, Jalen Hurts loves to look deep for a lot of his passes, uh, and he has a very high RPO rate as well. Um, and without A.J. Brown, I think that's going to have to change quite a bit. And they're still, you know, headed coming into this game. Their offense, I, to me, was never necessarily the problem uh, for this team and why they kind of fell apart towards the end of the season. Not kind of fell apart. I mean, really fell apart uh, at the end of the season. Their defense has really been the big culprit of that. Uh, they had a big regression from this year or from last year to this year, 30th in EPA for play. Uh, and they struggled against both the run and the pass in terms of EPA allowed 28th and 29th in both the run and the pass this year. Uh, and outside of Hassan Reddick, there's been a couple guys that just have not aged into their positions very well in the defensive line. Fletcher Cox is kind of aging out of that position at the defensive tackle spot. Uh, Hassan Reddick, like I said, has been very pretty, has been pretty solid this year, but Josh Sweat hasn't been great. Uh, and Jalen Carter at the defensive tackle position has been pretty good as a defensive tackle in terms of pressure and sack rates. Um, but Hassan Reddick uh, is kind of the primary guy this year. And even when he's been doing it, he hasn't been absolutely stellar um out of our mind very good uh and their back seven has really really struggled when the defensive line has not been able to get pressure or sacks um a lot of their guys have not aged into that position very well they've aged out of it arguably out of that position pretty rapidly and they kind of bet on that essentially coming into this season they kind of bet on those positions the cornerbacks and the safeties with their james bradbury darius slay uh they kind of bet on those positions to be able to um, keep a lot of their ability a year later and they just have not been able to do that they haven't necessarily been very healthy and when they have been healthy the starters they haven't played very well either they have just not been very good and I think without uh, AJ Brown it's going to cost their offense and their defense has not shown us really anything uh, that is going to make me think that they're going to take a step up for this game Tampa Bay on the other hand they're a team that for the most part honestly has played pretty good all things considered they're a pretty solid passing team they're eighth in apa per pass they're a very bad rushing team like not a good rushing team whatsoever arguably the worst rushing team in the nfl um but they have a couple of really really solid wide receivers obviously everybody seems to forget 
Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, a very good one-two punch uh, out wide. And against these cornerbacks and safeties of Philadelphia, I think they should probably they will probably have a field day. Um, Baker Mayfield is a quarterback that loves to run play action. That's when he's at his absolute best is running play action uh, and getting the ball out quickly. And I think against these cornerbacks and the safeties of Philadelphia, they should uh, thrive against this team. Uh, and the other thing is this Dallas or the Dallas, this Tampa Bay uh, team without uh, having to match up against AJ Brown. They have guys like Antoine Winfield who's played at an all pro level this year. Levon, or, uh, Devin White's been pretty solid at, at his position at linebacker. Uh, and they're taking, they're getting a, a big break, not having to deal with AJ Brown in this game. And they're very good uh, rush defensive, a uh, defensive running team. Uh, rush defense team is what I should, what I should say. Um, they have, uh, one of the best run defenders on the interior in Vita Vey. He's consistently one of the best uh, run defenders at the nose tackle position, and he's continued to do that this year, uh, as well as Kalijah Kansi, who has been actually pretty good as a run defender as well. Um, but Kalijah uh, Kansi has not played all that much. A lot of their defensive line has played... Um, has dealt with some injuries. Their front seven, anyways, um, has dealt with a lot of injuries this year. But Vita Vey, when he's playing, he's one of the best interior linemen in terms of stopping the run in the entire NFL. So it'll be interesting. I think ultimately Philadelphia and trying to make up a lot of um, the production that they're going to lose with A.J. Brown is I think they're going to try to run the ball a lot more frequently, a lot more of those RPOs. And if they're running straight into the teeth of Vita Vey, if he's having a good game, then that RPO is not going to work as well. And it's going to allow, I think, um, the pass rush, the pass rush that's not very good for Tampa Bay, but the more time that you give them, the higher chance that those pass rushers getting through. And if Vita Vey is just plugging the hole in the middle on those RPOs, uh, then we're going to see a lot more pullouts from Jalen Hurts and look for either Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard, who are very who are very good, but not on the same level as AJ Brown um, coming into this game. So I think this game is on high upset alert. I think Tampa Bay is probably going to, in my opinion, I think they're going to pull it off. I think they're they're three point dogs coming into this game. So I think I think the uh, the Bucks will pull off the upset, in my opinion, especially with AJ Brown being out for this matchup. And uh, I think the Bucks are going to pull it off. I think they pull it off. Not to mention Jalen Hurts. He hurt his finger last week too against against New York, and that's I mean that's something to be worried about a little bit as well coming into this matchup. So we will see. We will see. I like the Bucks though. I do like the Bucks pulling off the upset in this game and knocking out the Philadelphia Eagles in the wild card round of the playoffs. So we'll see what happens. We will see. Really quickly, I'm going to go a little bit over on time possibly here, but that's okay. That's all right. Uh, I want to talk really quickly. Nick Saban retiring. I didn't get to talk about that. There were rumblings about this earlier in the season. Uh, I think his sister or his daughter or something, one of the two came out and was kind of at the, towards the beginning of the season, was kind of talking about how this is going to be his last season, but it was kind of an offhand comment. So nobody really took it seriously. Um, but and, and it felt like the last few years there were kind of rumblings about Nick Saban being on the verge of retirement. Uh, and I think this is probably the best time to do it. The, the game has changed so much. I think he even talked about that in his press conference that the game has changed so much and it's taken a, a lot more and he doesn't really like the direction in which the game is going in terms of college football, which, you know, I, I'm happy he's retiring and not going on these huge rants and then continuing to coach, you know what I mean? Cause then it could just kind of looks ridiculous. Um, but I think that for the most part, he, 
I mean, obviously he did a lot of really good for the game. Obviously I'll see, we'll see how long he stays away because it feels like, I mean, coaches a lot like that coaches like him who are very much from the same like Belichick tree. I cannot imagine him going through his life without the game of football in it. So I fully expect Nick Saban, maybe not to be a head coach, but still remain connected to the game of football in some way, maybe coaching a high school team or like his, his kids team or something like that. I don't know his grandkids, high school team or something. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it was weird. And again, we, there were rumblings about Nick Saban on the verge of retirement for a while now for the last two or three years. Um, but it's weird seeing it actually happen. Um, especially with a team leaving a team like Alabama, which has essentially become the face of college football with him at the helm of it. Um, and now without again, Nick Saban, it'll be see, it'll be interesting to see the direction that Alabama football goes. They have all the resources in the world, all the money you'll ever need from boosters in college football. Like they, you're walking into that job with unbelievable expectations, obviously like some that are going to be essentially impossible to try to follow or live up to. Cause I, Kalen DeBoer, DeBoer who is, going to be the next head coach at Alabama, um, the Washington head coach. I feel for him going into that position because that is essentially an impossible job. Uh, I, I don't know anybody that would want that job. You're having to replace Nick Saban, a essentially a God in that town. Uh, like there's nobody more popular, maybe in the state of Alabama than Nick Saban outside of some of the places in Auburn, Alabama, there's probably not, uh, a more popular person in the entire state of Alabama. He is a God in that area of the country. Um, and he was such a crux on his fellow sec coaches, uh, fellow sec teams that when, um, he w- announced his retirements, they, they were throwing toilet paper into the trees in tumors corner, which is like, they only do that when they win very big games or when they win football games. And they saw Alabama was retiring they were having a party at Toomer's Corner, which that's just goes to show you how much of an effect Nick Saban had uh, against his against his fellow compatriots, if you will, compat- competitors uh, in the SEC and the rest of football. As an Oklahoma fan, I was like, dang, this is going to be weird. I'm so happy you're leaving, <laughs> especially with Oklahoma leaving or uh, leaving the Big 12 to join the SEC. I was like, oh, this is perfect. I Great. This could not come at a better time. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's, it's good to see him leave to be honest with you. I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, but I also, I have a ton of respect for Nick Saban and what he's put together at, at Alabama really, I mean, became the greatest head coach that we've ever seen in the history of that sport, uh, and was doing it in a time where the, not, not just the turnover at Alabama, because we've talked about, you know, the, the fact that Alabama was essentially a a rehabilitation program for head or for coaches that wanted to become head coaches again. That's essentially where you would go. You'd become an analyst or an assistant or an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and you would more than likely have a job within a head coaching job within two to three years. And the fact that they were able to one do that. And then after those coaches leave recover essentially without really any sort of hitch in their step. Um, And that was mainly because of the focal point and the the light that was uh, Nick Saban, who knew exactly what he expected from his coaches, knew exactly what he expected from his players, knew what he wanted on both offensive defense, um, and was able to just recruit out of his mind uh, when he was the head coach there. So off to the sunset for 
off into the sunset for Nick Saban. Uh, it'll, it, I'm, I'm happy to see you go. It makes me a little bit sad because uh, the, it, the, the times are really, truly changing <laughs> for college football um, when Nick Saban is not there no more. So yeah, I'm happy to see him go, but I'm, I'm, I'm upset to see him leave. You know, it, it does make me a little bit sad, but we'll see. We'll see what the future holds for Alabama. Kalen Boer, like I said, not an easy job. Uh, just took Washington to a national title game. And outside of a couple of plays uh, that ended up allowing Michigan to kind of blow out Washington in the second half, kind of stuck in in that game with or with Michigan. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I think he has the ability. It'll be interesting to see how he adjusts, adjusts to an SEC type of schedule, an SEC type of environment. No, no disrespect to the Pac-12, but it's the SEC, you know, uh, top to bottom. The Pac-12 this year was probably better than the SEC, but Year in, year out, you're not going to see your tougher conference in um, college football than the SEC. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what Kalen DeBoer can do. I think he's a good recruiter. I think he's going to put together a good squad there. I think he's bringing over the offensive coordinator as well from Washington. Um, and I think that's probably a good move as well, obviously. Um, and also, we'll see how much of a, how much of a, the, the floodgates will open for the transfer portal for, um, for uh, both Washington and Alabama, but mainly Alabama. I mean, that that's going to create a whole bunch of new recruits for different schools um, with the transfer portal now and options. So we'll see what happens to Alabama. Shout out, shout out Nick Saban. I hope he enjoys the retired life. I hope he's sitting on the rocking chair just watching. I don't even know if you can watch college football after all that. Like, is he still going to want to just be coaching like the the quintessential armchair quarterback, if you, if you will? Um, we'll see. I, I bet he takes up some sort of administrative role at the university of Alabama. I wouldn't be stunned by that or actually not. No, I don't think he's going to do that. I bet he's going to be on TV. I bet he's going to be an ESPN. He's going to go on game day or something like that. Cause he's actually pretty good on TV. I'm, I'm pretty, he's pretty, I mean, obviously very well-spoken knows the game very well. Um, but he does good on TV as well. So I would fully expect him to maybe go to ESPN, do game day or something like that. And, uh, I think I think that's the perfect spot for him. And I think he already brings more credibility to ESPN than the big noon kickoff with Urban Meyer. So we'll see. We'll see with Nick Saban. Uh, I got to go. We got to wrap it up here. Um, a little over on time. So we're going to make it quick. Thank you very much for tuning in to the weekend sports rep podcast. Uh, remember to leave a rating on the show, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I have been your host, James Timberlake, and uh, we'll see you next week.